We are just continuing on in this series. If you haven't been here, it's called Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda. And it is a series kind of on adulting. Um, navigating these young adult years of our lives with purpose and clarity. Um, that's kind of the goal of this series. And it's been fun. I think it's resonated with a lot of us. I know it's resonated with me and it's made me think and challenge some of the ways that I see the world in certain things. And so I'm just excited to keep going. Uh, week one, we talked about how God really is in control of all of our situations, how he's good and he can see us and he's working even when things are crazy. Uh, week two, we talked about the timeline of our lives and learning how to be faithful where God has us. And then last week, we talked about making biblical decisions, the big ones, the small ones, and everything in between. And tonight, uh, we are gonna talk about contentment. Um, and contentment is one of those words that I think we use a lot, um, maybe not enough. We say discontent, we say I'm content in certain areas, but I think for a lot of us, we don't actually know uh, what it means and how to do it. And I think I fell in that camp for a really long time. And I joked about it a few weeks ago, but tonight we're gonna make it really practical and look at what it looks like to live a content life. Specifically how um, Paul refers to it in Philippians 4, he says that he has learned the secret um, to a content life, learned how to be content in all circumstances. And we're gonna really focus on that word, learn, because um, there's just so much that we can learn from it. So first I'm gonna pray and then we'll get started. God, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for a room to gather, to sing, to talk about you. Uh, we just thank you for all that you're doing in every single person's life. I just pray for each one of us as we sit or stand in this room um, that you would just speak to us. It would be your words um, from your truth, not mine or anybody else's, that we would hear from you and it would be about you and for you and glorify you, God. I just ask that if you're already doing some wrestling and working in some of the hearts in here, that we would respond to you, Holy Spirit, that we would be um, aware of what you're doing and we would listen um, to what you wanna say to us, Lord. We love you so much, in your name I pray, amen. Okay, so before we talk about contentment, I'm gonna tell you a story about a time that I had to learn something, not contentment necessarily, I had to learn something uh, the really hard way. So if you have ever ridden in a car with me, which most of you haven't, but if you had, um, you would know I'm a really not amazing driver, which is the nice way of saying I'm really, really bad at driving. Um, not necessarily the skill of driving, but I'm just not great at being careful. Um, maybe is the word. I'm a little reckless. <laughs> and I have gotten like so much better in the last three to four years, like night and day from what it used to be. Um, but from ages about 16 to 21, it was terrifying. Like I drove this 1999 beat up old Jeep Grand Cherokee named Ernie and he was awesome and I just gave no cares. He didn't have AC, we found out when I wrecked him he didn't really actually have airbags and it <laughs> was not a good situation. But we thought he did, so you know, whatever. Um, but anyways, I um, was so bad at driving, I got pulled over, I don't actually even know how many times for speeding. I would say 20 plus. Um, yeah, it's bad, it's really, really bad, I'm not proud of it, don't think of me differently after this. this before I was walking with the Lord, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but it was really, really bad, and um, it was to the point where like when I'd get pulled over, I'd be like, oh, these guys again, and just kinda 
It was just like not even a big deal to me. (laughs) I was awful. And I didn't get that many tickets. Thankfully, I got some warnings, but I did get an absurd amount of tickets. Like it was just bad. And so I went to school in Kansas, lived in Texas. And so a lot of them were up and down I-35. And um, one time I got one really bad in Oklahoma, actually. It was in Purcell. Anybody else gotten pulled over in Purcell? Cool. Hey, these guys. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so it was in Purcell, and it was bad. It was not a good one. Um, I was going very fast, and I told my dad, and it was, it was bad. So I got a call from my dad, and he was like, Mary Ashton, I need you to focus. And I was like, okay. <laughs> he was like, you cannot get any more speeding tickets this year. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And my dad, all these tickets, I think it was seven, um, had been really gracious, and I'm the only girl in the family. I probably made up really bad excuses, and he would take care of them for me, like pay for them, which was nice, but a lot. And um, anyway, so this ticket, he was like, my dad's an attorney, and he was like, Mary Ashton, you're going to get your license revoked if you get another ticket this year. And he used all these other legal terms. It was going to be a bad deal. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. I can focus. I cannot speed. Um, so we developed a system in college. Whoever was sitting behind me would like pull on my hair if I started speeding. And I was like trying to come up with all these like repercussions for myself if I was speeding. But I just kind of have a lead foot and um, no cares. So later that year, I had worked at a summer camp in Missouri called Canacuck. And I was on my way home from Canacook to Texas, driving through Arkansas, and I had really been trying. Ernie did not have cruise control, so maybe it's his fault. But um, I got pulled over, and I will tell you the speed on this one, for going 97 in a 70. Um, <laughs> I know, it's awful. It's not, I'm not proud of it. I really am not. And um, it was bad, and immediately, I get pulled over, the police officer comes up, and he was nice, but he was like, this is a big deal, girl. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> he was like, I'm like sobbing, and he was like telling me that, I think he used the word felony, like could be in the mix, in jail, and things like that. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. He looks up my driving history, and he's like, you have a problem. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, I know, I'm so sorry. And so... Um, Yeah, I get a really, really, really big ticket. Like, I think it was over $500. And, um, but really what I was worried about was the phone call I was about to have with my dad. Um, And I was like five hours from home still. So I was like, okay, if I call now, that will give him like five hours to calm down. And I will come up with like a really good plan to make this up to my my family who I have dishonored. Um, And... So I call him and I decide, I was like, okay, here's the plan. I'm gonna tell him, but I'm also gonna tell him I'm paying for this ticket with my own money. I just worked at camp. Uh, was, I was broke, like 19 years old, didn't have any money, but I had just saved up some money from camp. And so I was like, I got this. Um, I was also gonna have to pay like a fine and go up here in court. And I was like, I'm gonna take care of all of that. And so I call my dad and tell him, and he is ticked, rightfully so. And so I tell him my plan and that I'm gonna pay for it and all this. And My dad was just like really um, generous and he was like, well, no, like we'll figure it out. I'll take care of it. And I was like, dad, no, like the time has come. I was like, I will never learn my lesson if I keep letting you pay for my tickets. And so 
I don't know what happened in my 19-year-old brain, but I was like, if I don't face the consequence for this action, I will never stop. I'm out of control. Um, and so we had that conversation, and he was like, okay, you got it. You're going to pay for it. And I was like, okay, great. So I spent, I think, every penny of my paycheck um, from camp that summer, which you don't make much, but you make a little, um, on that ticket, driving back to Arkansas to appear in court to plea my case and my fines and defensive driving and the whole thing. Um, but I learned a really hard lesson, and I've only gotten one speeding ticket since then, and it was in Nichols Hills, and I think it was a ripoff. And <laughs> that speed limit is so slow. And um, anyways, so that story, what the heck does that have to do with anything? It's probably what you're wondering. But um, the point is that in order to learn something, to really learn it, we often have to endure something that is not fun, something that is not easy in order to truly learn your lesson. Um, for me, I had to learn personal responsibility um, by facing accountability for my actions. I had to learn to be a better driver by the financial pain of hundreds of dollars um, that meant a lot to me as a 19-year-old. Um, and for the purpose of today, in order to learn contentment, uh, we likely have to experience times of discontentment and dissatisfaction with life and endure it. Um, hard times where we don't really feel like we are satisfied with life and don't necessarily like the situation that we might find ourselves in. Um, if you can think about a big lesson that you learned in your life at some point, it usually comes from a screw-up. If y'all can all think back to maybe just one pivotal moment in your life where you learned this lesson and it changed the course of your life, it usually comes from messing up or getting caught or something of that nature. We learn um, when we're stretched. We learn when we screw up. We learn when things are difficult. Um, and we are capable of learning and we thrive in that. Um, but it's rarely just super easy and fun when we have to learn something really hard. Um, we don't just go to class as a kid and get all the information like downloaded into our brain. Math and reading, we can just all of a sudden do it. Sometimes it's a grind. Uh, we don't start in calculus. You start adding. It's a learning process. Um, so tonight we're going to take a look at how we can truly learn contentment, not just automatically have it, um, by enduring hard times through the strength and power of Jesus. Um, contentment, again, one of those words that we say a lot we don't totally know what it means, but I would venture to say it's almost the opposite of what it coulda, shoulda. Um, the actual definition is it means the state of being satisfied with what one has, um, what one is or one has, not wanting more or anything less. So truly being satisfied with where you're at in life, what you have in life, not wanting more, not wanting less. I bet I don't go a day without wishing I had more of something. Um, or I was in a different place than I am. Um, so just to make this super practical, that's what we're doing tonight. We're gonna break this down practically. Uh, some areas that we as young adults and college students might be feeling discontentment um, would be finances. We want more money to be able to do more things that we think we should be able to do. Um, or maybe it's friendships. Maybe community doesn't look the way you thought it would or think it should in this phase of life that you're in. Um, maybe it's a job. You feel like you could be doing more or you could be doing something different than where you're at currently. 
Um, maybe it's your relationship status, like I talked about a few weeks ago. You just really feel like you should be dating or married or have kids. Um, or maybe it's just that you don't feel like life is as fun or enjoyable as you think it should be or thought it would be at this point in your life. Um, and contentment is really important, not just because it will make us happier, although I think it will. You maybe have heard that quote that comparison is the thief of joy. I totally agree with that. Um, but contentment is important because we're called to it biblically um, for our good and for God's glory. First Timothy 6, 6 and 7 says, Of course, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Um, I'm going to read that again because I think it's so good. Of course, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. So if y'all will turn to Philippians 4, if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever, or it'll be on the screen, um, we're going to take a look at verses 11 through 13. It's a popular passage, often taken out of context and put on like a sports jersey. Um, it's about contentment, not like winning games, but we sometimes do that. Um, and we're going to take a look at how we can really learn contentment. Um, as you're getting there, I'll just give you like a little bit of context. This is Paul writing. Paul's like a major character in the Bible. Um, he's one that endured more hardship than probably any of us will ever come even close to. He dealt with um, losing everything, totally changing his faith, going to follow Jesus and losing his family and his friends. Um, he was wrongly imprisoned. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was scorned. People said all kinds of things about him. Um, and he wrote the majority of our New Testament, uh, most of it from a prison cell. So when this dude talks about contentment, he like knows what he's saying. He's talking about, I've learned the reason to be content in all of those circumstances. So we're gonna read this together, verse 11 through 13. It says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the thing that really struck me as I was studying it this, studying it this week was that concept of learning, um, learning contentment, um, the fact that it doesn't just arrive, like me and my bad driving, I had to learn, um, and tonight we're going to go really practical. So the first of three points that we're going to look at is that we can learn contentment by enduring instead of escaping. We can learn contentment by enduring instead of escaping. And if I had heard that at certain points in my life, I probably would have been like, I roll. Um, that's not helpful. But it's true. Um, it kind of sounds like not that awesome. You're like, enduring instead of escaping. Okay, what does that mean? Um, but again, we rarely learn things, and in this case, contentment, when things are going awesome. I've noticed I kind of use the word content pretty flippantly, um, just last weekend, I was sitting on this nice porch, and it was like cool breeze, and I had a cup of coffee, and I was like, oh, I am so content. I use that word right there. And that's not wrong, but it's just really easy to be content in that situation. It's not hard at all. It's really hard to be content when my day gets screwed up, when my car breaks down, or somebody's mad at me, or things are going wrong at work, or um, there's pain in my life or in my family or there's sickness or illness or whatever it is, um, that is when it's really difficult to be content. 
So Paul here is saying, I have learned in every single situation, the good ones and the bad ones, how to be content. Um, And for reference, again, his situations were so extreme. They were imprisonments, beatings, mockings, scornings, all those things. Um, And we see a similar theme here all over scripture, but specifically in James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Um, So hear me out, I'm not saying when bad things happen to be like, yay, this is great. Um, That is not what that joy means there, but it says that we might consider Um, it all joy. At some point, as we're going through a trial, the sufferings, the things that are happening to us because of what it's doing in our lives, um, teaching us contentment in every situation, the good and the bad, um, that as we endure, we are actually coming to know God more. If you've ever been in a really hard season, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes those are my deepest, most sweetest moments with God. Um, And that could actually be joyful. Um, So point two is gonna be we can learn contentment by changing our mindset instead of complaining. Sounds kind of churchy and kind of self-helpy, but the truth is that we really can learn contentment um, by changing our mindset instead of complaining. Um, Like I just said, it's not natural for us to see trials as opportunities for growth and becoming more like Jesus. That's totally backwards. It sounds actually kind of really insensitive if you say it um, in the wrong context. It's not normal, it's hard. And I think Romans 12, one to two speaks to this really clearly. It says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Contentment is not um, easy. It is a learned behavior that is difficult. Um, That verse is talking about, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's very active verbiage. It's difficult. Um, It's not natural. So if you're sitting there like, I struggle with contentment, everybody does. It's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. So again, super practical. I wanted to put kind of a realistic couple of examples on this. 2020, Oklahoma City, young adults, college students, 20s and 30s, what does this actually look like for us um, in the realm of contentment? So the world would love for you to believe, because it says do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, a lot of words, Um, but the world would love for you to believe that you don't have enough. In this season of life you're in, wherever you're at, that you don't have enough. That you need more money, you need more friends, maybe you need more clothes, you need more Instagram followers, uh, you need more DMs, you need more attention from guys or girls, you need more, you don't have enough where you're at. Um, the world would encourage you to get on your phone and scroll and scroll and scroll and compare your life to everybody else's um, and to feel kind of miserable about yourself until you get what they have and then you can put it on your Instagram and make them feel bad about themselves. That's kind of what the world would suggest um, in our current season of life. Um, But that is not the purpose 
of your life. The purpose of your life is not go there for and have an awesome Instagram and make everyone think you're awesome and have a great life um, and prove to the world that you're good enough. That's just not your purpose. Um, your purpose and your mission, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you would love God and love people and make disciples of all nations. That's the actual purpose, but our purpose gets muddied um, by what the world would throw at us and push on us and tell us that we need to do and be. Um, so after do not be conformed to the world, we have that part. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, big words that are hard to like understand what that actually means. Um, so how do we actually renew our minds? I like to ask myself this question and my friends um, more than anything. First things first is, is it true? Is, is that thing you're thinking, that comparison, that lie, that um, insecurity, that whatever that's going on, is it actually true? Um, not just true of your opinion or your feelings, but is it true of what God says about you and for you um, in scripture? And after you ask, is it true, um, we can shut down a lot of the crazy things that go on in our brain. Um, so an example, again, super practical, when you don't get maybe a promotion, um, you think you should have, you might hear either from your own insecurities, someone around you, or the enemy of God in all things good, that you're not good enough, um, you're not worthy, you will never grow in that job that you're in. That might be what you're hearing. Um, and the question would be, is that true? And actually, is it true? Um, a lot of times it takes saying it out loud. And the answer would be no, it's a lie. Um, and I'm just gonna flesh out how I would tell you if I was sitting down with coffee with you and you were like, I'm believing that I'm not good enough. I'm believing I'm never gonna grow in this area. I would say, no, that's a lie because God says you are his masterpiece, that we are his masterpiece. He says he has good works prepared in advance for us to do, that's Ephesians 2, eight through 10. Um, he says he is in control of all things, including your present situation, Proverbs 16.9, and he says he is ultimately working all things for my good so that we can trust him today, yesterday, tomorrow, forever. Romans 8 and Genesis 50. Um, and that is how we would actually biblically reframe our thoughts. It's a concept that we should do. We know, I think, we're not supposed to believe all this junk that the world throws at us, but it is really easy to get stuck believing and circulating lies in our brains that lead to a life of discontentment, a life of what it coulda, shoulda. Um, and we have to take this next step to actually not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And kind of like the other things I was talking about earlier, it, it's not gonna be like you quote those verses, snap your fingers, and you are good forever. Um, that's not how it works. It's an active process of renewing our minds day by day. And I'll say, like, this is not one of those things that is easy like the rest of this, but a lot of times we will get stuck in our thought patterns, right? We get stuck in believing the lies, and this is why we have community. Um, for me, more times than not, more times than not, it takes me calling a friend or going to coffee and saying, hey, this is what I believe. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. What are you hearing? Is it true? And asking your friend, um, someone in your community, someone at your church, um, you tell me if it's true, because right now I'm such a mess, I have no idea if it's true. Um, and that is why we need each other. We were created to live in community. That's why we push it so much. Um, to have a life of contentment 
takes effort, but sometimes it is a group project and it is worth stepping into. Um, and point number three is my favorite one, if I'm honest with you. Um, and it is remembering, we can learn contentment by remembering where our true hope is instead of resenting where it's not. Remembering where our true, our ultimate hope is, answer is Jesus, um, instead of resenting where it's not. Um, so I have another story for you guys. Me and a couple of friends recently moved into a new house um, back in June. And I was so excited about it. It's in this really cute area that I'd wanted to live in, and it's just super fun. We call it Big Blue because it's big and it's blue. And it's just great. We love this house. And I don't know about y'all, but I absolutely hate moving more than maybe anything. It is stressful. It is exhausting. You feel all out of sorts for weeks. I want to be a go-with-the-flow girl, but I'm just not. I'm like, where are we going? How long are we going to be there? When can I leave? And we moved into this house, took so much effort. We're all really excited about it. And then um, that was June 1st. And then around July 1st, we get an email from our landlord. And she's like, hey, guys. She's a great lady. I'm not bashing her. Um, Hey guys, I just wanna let you know, I'm actually gonna sell this house. Would love it if you would leave, but um, <laughs> if, you, if you really wanna stay, like obviously you can, but you're gonna have to deal with showings and photos and me coming in and out all the time, so it'd really be great if you just left. And we were like, what? <laughs> I was, I really don't get mad that often, if I'm honest with you, but I was like raging. I was like, this is our house. You can't take it away. <laughs> and so we we're super mad. I call my roommates and we're just fired up and ticked. One of my roommates is an attorney, so she was like, she can't do this. And like went in on that. Um, <laughs> so we all freak out kind of, and we're like, man, I really don't want to leave. We just got here. Um, so we decide we're going to try to stay. Um, and in the midst of that, kind of look around and see if there happens to be another house in our area that we would want to live in. But um, in that time, all of a sudden, I found myself just like so anxious about this situation and so um, insecure about my season of life that I like rented a house instead of owning a house. And it was this whole thing that came up out of nowhere, I had never had these feelings before. And all of a sudden, I was just like, man, if I had my own house, no one could take it away. And if I had my own house, this wouldn't have happened. Or if maybe I was better at managing money, I could have my own house. And I said, maybe like, this means I'm being bad at being an adult because I can't keep my own house or whatever. All these things started feeding into my brain. Um, and I'm a big homebody, so I'm like, love my house. I want to be able to get my introvert time, to reset, all those things. And I started talking to God about it. And I just remember being like, God, we're in a stinking pandemic. And I just got this house, and I really like it. And I just need a place that is safe and secure and stable and is my support. And I just need that from you. Can you please give me that? And I was praying this to him. And I remember thinking, all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit just reminded me that I was looking to a building of brick and wood to be my Jesus. I wanted um, a house to give me support, stability, safety, 
hope um, that this earth was never meant to provide. I was looking to a created thing um, to give me what I'm supposed to get from the creator. And um, the point is that remembering where our true hope is instead of resting in where it's not is the result of contentment. Um, We can be content when we remember that ultimately our hope is not in this earth. Um, Philippians 3, right before Philippians 4, we just talked about, speaks to this. It says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Um, This world has a lot of things in it, a lot of great things, and I hope that we, you, get all of them um, that you want, that you're longing for, that are maybe creating some discontentment in your heart right now that you don't have. Um, But ultimately, this verse, amongst others, is speaking to the fact that this earth is not our home. It's like a forever rent house um, with a landlord that's never going away. (laughs) And um, this earth is not our home. The hope, the ultimate hope, um, is heaven. That is the end game. For the believer, if we know Jesus, we get to spend eternity in heaven with him forever. Um, that's the hope. And so when we put our hope in these created things, for me it was a house. I didn't even know I had such issues with my living situation. Uh, but for maybe for you, it's your job or your finances or your friendships or your family. When we put our hope in created things, it will 100% always lead to discontentment. Um, So it's kind of a trick to put this at the end um, after I've been talking about creating contentment. But ultimately, there is no perfect contentment on earth. Um, It's just not anywhere to be found. If we, there's a C.S. Lewis quote, quote that I just love, and it says, if I find myself in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Scripture refers to us as aliens and foreigners in this place that we are trying so hard to make comfortable and perfect. I think a lot of times we want heaven on earth, and that is just never what it was designed to be. Um, The end game for believers, again, is eternity in heaven. That's the hope that we can hold on to, and honestly, that's how we can endure hard things. Um, That's how we can count it all joy. We know that this isn't the end. We know that as troubles come and things suck, um, that heaven is coming. Heaven is the hope. Um, So until heaven, in our time on earth, we can't just sit around and think about heaven every day. We got things to do. Um, We have purpose and a reason that we're here on this earth, that God has placed each of us in Oklahoma City, in your job, in your friend group, in your family with great purpose. And the enemy of God would love for us to get distracted by all the things we don't have that we miss the life right before us that God does have for us. Um, So 
We can learn contentment where we are right now through enduring instead of escaping, changing our mindset instead of complaining, and remembering where our true, po- true hope is instead of resenting where it's not. Um, Paul said he'd learned the secret of being content um, in good times and in bad times, and I really do believe we can too. I just believe it takes a lot of effort. It's not a, this isn't just the most easy message. It's gonna take some work, um, some effort to learn contentment, to cultivate that in our lives. Um, so, so what, as always, if we hear about this um, and don't do anything about it, or you just sit here and listen to me, and then we don't digest it, we don't put it into action, this really is just so pointless. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. Um, there are action steps here. And so some questions that I just want you guys to think about during 120 seconds, we're gonna go into in just a second um, and process with the Lord All right, number one, what areas of your life do you find yourself most discontent with and why? Mostly um, dissatisfied with. What area is that for you? Honest answer, not churchy answer. Um, The second one is, what lie are you believing about your current situation that you need to reframe? This could be jobs, friends, money, um, relationships. Um, And also I wanna challenge you to just Think through, what does God say about that? Is it true? And if you're not sure, write it down and then ask a friend later. And then thirdly, um, where do you tend to place your hope other than God? And how can you adjust that? A good way to figure that last one out um, is to think about like the last week or two of your life and look at times that you were disappointed um, or upset with an outcome. It's probably a good direction of where you're placing some of your hope. Um, So those are gonna be our 120 seconds questions. Um, And as we go into that time, you guys, I just, I know we say this every week, but if you hear me talk about that hope um, and you don't know what I'm talking about, or if you hear me talking about heaven and you're not sure what that means or what that looks like, I know that I, Jason, any of these people, our prayer team afterwards would really love um, to talk to you. Not to convince you, not to try to, make you believe what we believe, but just to have a conversation about what is the hope of heaven? What is the hope of Jesus? What do those words mean? And how can I have that? If you find yourself in a position where you're just entirely discontent, not a little bit, but like all of your life, you don't like it. You don't like where you're at. You don't like how it's going. You don't really wanna be in your situation. We wanna talk to you about that too. Uh, Those are the conversations that matter. And if you're sitting there thinking, There's a ton of lies swirling in my brain, but I don't know how to ask if they're true or if they're not. I don't know how to process that. I don't know how to say that. It's not weird to come talk to us. It's actually the best. Um, We would love to have a conversation with you and point you to what God's word says and help you decide if it's true or if it's not. Um, Help us learn, all of us, as we go, how to live a life of contentment. So I'm gonna pray and then we'll go into our time of 120 seconds. God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for um, a church to come and sit and talk and learn and sing about who you are and your goodness. Lord, I just pray that we could truly learn how to live lives of contentment, lives that honor you and glorify you. Um, Enter at peace with you, Lord. I pray that we would remember that there is hope and it is 
you, the hope of heaven, the hope of you now here on earth, and that we can actually have that and live in that, Lord. I just ask that as we sit in this time of 120 seconds, that you would move in hearts and in minds, and that you would make it so clear what you want to do. You would make it obvious to us the places in our lives that don't match up with what you say, that you would make it obvious the places in our life where we are discontent or where we are placing hope in created things instead of our creator. Um, we just love you and are thankful that we get to know you. In your name we pray. Amen.